Welcome to Grace on the Go. This podcast is designed so that you can take grace with you anywhere you go. This episode is a sermon from Sunday, January 14th, 2024, called A God of Second Chances, given by Pastor Jonathan Dinger. The scripture passage highlighted for today's sermon comes from the book of Luke, chapter 11, verse 30. For as Jonah was assigned to the Ninevites, so also will the Son of Man be to this generation. I'm going to Hawaii on Tuesday. I'm leaving Teresa here, but no, no, I'm kidding. No, we're leaving. We're going to Hawaii on Tuesday. And, uh, and here's the thing. I'm actually asking for prayer because uh, Pastor Triplett from Faith Lutheran and his wife, Laura, are coming with us. So we're going to go. So pray that on the plane, the Lutheran pastors in Pocatello don't all crash. Right? You know, so that would be nice. Um, actually, also pray because Kirk loves to golf, and so I'm going to golf. I sin gravely while golfing. (laughs) Here, Bobby, I did these for you. So here, I got some. These are golf jokes. Father said said to his son, you know, son, it's time to have a little talk. You know, soon, this kid's an adolescent, right? Soon you'll have urges and feelings you've never had before. Your heart will pound, your hands will sweat, you'll be preoccupied, won't be able to think of anything else. He said, but don't worry, it's perfectly normal. It's called golf. Golfer says to his caddy, how do you like my game? The caddy says, very good, sir, but personally, I prefer golf. <laughs> okay, this is the one I really wanted to share with you anyway. So there's this American, he's, he's vacationing over in Scotland, and so he decides to play a round of golf. He's, he's paired up with uh, three local gentlemen. He takes a few practice swings, steps up to the first tee, proceeds to hook the ball way out of bounds. He shakes his head, reaches in his pocket, retees another ball tells his playing partners that he's taking a mulligan. He pounds one down the center of the fairway, 270 yards. With a big smile, he asks the others, in the U.S., you know, we call that a mulligan. I was wondering what you call it here in Scotland. And after a moment of silence, one of the locals replies, hitting three. (laughs) You have to kind of be a golfer to know what that means, right? So a mulligan is a do-over. It's a do-over. And it's interesting because if you're kind of like a real golfer, you know what? Mulligans are no-nos. Real golfers play by the rules, right? You play by the rules. And it's interesting. So growing up in New York, I grew up in Queens, and so we played in the street. There weren't lots of parks for us to go around to. You played in the street. You play stickball, you play football, you play kick the can or ring alivio or any of those kind of city games that we would play. And constantly we would be yelling for a do-over. We want a do-over. And no one would give it to you unless they wanted it also. And so I find this an interesting thing, the whole word do-over or second chance. And I, our culture has changed dramatically. Like I remember like when I was in school, it seemed like, now maybe I'm wrong because you know, you walk two miles of school in the snow uphill both ways, you know, with no shoes, you know, things like that. But when I was in school, I didn't dare ask, like, to turn in my homework late. Or if I didn't do well on a test, could I take it again? Or, you know, I don't know, a do-over. I missed practice, but I still want to be able to play in the game. It's almost like the culture today is a do-over is expected. It's the minimum that you get. You, you, you get do-overs all the time. And here's the thing. Here's where the tone has changed. Uh, 
a do-over or, a, you know, kind of a do-over that says, this is a way for me to excuse or ignore the thing I did wrong. I just get a freebie. It's, if there's no admission that what I did before was wrong, it's I just get to do it again. That's not how God does do-overs. This is a whole story of do-overs, second chances. There are sailors, and they get a second chance. There are these people in Nineveh, and Nineveh was the capital of a, a hated enemy of Israel called Assyria. It's where Syria is today. Northern Babylon, northern Iraq, that kind of area. And so they hate, more than once, the Assyrians tried to do genocide, right? Kill all the Jews, more than once. And God rescued his people and kept alive that line to get the Messiah and get, get our Savior. And so when God comes to Jonah, here's the story. God comes to Jonah and says, I need you to go up there to Assyria and tell those Ninevites that if they don't get their act together, if they don't repent, if they don't turn to me in 40 days, I'm going to wipe it out. I'm going to wipe out the whole city. So we look at that and say, oh, what a mean God. And I'm going, actually, pretty cool that he went and asked them to repent. Don't you think? I mean, to be honest, did God have to do that? And you just, you know, done. But he goes, go up there and tell them, turn to me. Turn to me. I want to give them a second chance right? So I don't know if I'm making this point very well. I just find this interesting because when I was a student and then when I was a teacher back in the 1980s, it's 40 years ago, it just seemed like second chances were the great rarity, you know, to get another chance to take that test or get another chance to turn in that assignment or get another chance. In other words, it's like I didn't do nothing wrong. I just want another shot at it. And God's second chances are, no, we were really in the wrong. But I'm going to give you a chance to come to me. To come to me. Not to get you right, but for you to know that I'm right. It's a different tone. I don't know if you're with me on this, but it's a different tone. So, on the so here's where I want to kind of talk about this. Because in, in, in uh, Jonah, what's so powerful about this in this season, so this is a season of epiphany. So this is actually an assigned reading for our faith tradition in Jonah. And usually in Epiphany, right, it starts with the wise men, and then Jesus is presented at the temple. He's, there's a naming and dedication thing. Simeon looks at him and he says, wow, look, it's, Jesus, it's the Messiah, light to the Gentiles. So the wise men come, Savior of the world. Look, it's Jesus, light to the Gentiles. Then all of a sudden Jesus is in the, uh, Jesus is in the temple. Then we have Jesus' baptism. The Trinity is revealed. A dove comes down. The voice of the Father. This is my son. Then Jesus begins his public ministry. He actually is revealing his, himself to the devil and his temptation to Satan. Epiphany is all about revealing. And, so, and then Jesus begins his public ministry. John the Baptist goes, look, that's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You get where I'm going? This season that we do leading up to Lent is... We're learning a new thing that's being revealed about our Savior all the time. So why are we in Jonah? This is way cool. Because Jonah is the one sign that Jesus gives to his generation. He says, hey, you guys demand a, time, a sign? I'm just going to give you one sign. And it's the sign of Jonah. That's the last point in this. 
So I'm going to get there. But it's pretty cool that Jonah plays such a key piece in revealing something about God. And, and here, I'll give it away. Jonah reveals the heart of the Father. The, the story of Jonah reveals the heart of God. And we constantly get this wrong. And Jesus is the embodiment of knowing the heart of God. So here's where I want to go. So how is God a God of second chances? And again, these second chances are not ignoring what's in the past, but rather saying we were headed the wrong way and God is calling, giving us an opportunity. It's opportunity to come back. Now, also, is God a God of more than second chances? I mean, we're going to do a little kind of time of confession, time of honesty with God before we come to communion. We always do that. We always stop and we say, hey, Lord, I need to be honest with you because I need to come to this. This is not a religious ritual that we're doing here. This is me walking in relationship with you, and you're inviting me so that I can, in your body and blood, be forgiven and know that I'm forgiven. Just as certainly as I taste it, touch it, that's how certain my sins are forgiven. That's what, that's what we'll be doing in communion. So it's this invitation, right? And it's this invitation, an opportunity for God to forgive and to heal. And we go away a different, different. We go away differently. So the idea here is, um, is that there are three audiences predominantly who get second chances. A chance to make a turn, a, t- a turn. Um, the opportunity to know the heart of God and to live in it. So, point number one, if you're old enough or if you're watching reruns, Seinfeld. That was a very, very popular show when I was younger. And Jerry Seinfeld, and he's a pretty good comedian. A co- comedy is almost done in our culture right now. Uh, you can't make fun of nothing. So, um, but Seinfeld was pretty funny. But it was weird because it was like a four, wasn't it four of them? Narcissists. That was kind of the show. They were all about themselves. And, and everything circled around them. And they were kind of clueless about others, didn't care about the needs of others. And it all epitomized itself in the last episode. When together, I forget where they were traveling, or upstate New York or someplace, and they saw something happen. Somebody got beat up or car broken into or whatever it was. Somebody got, and they all kind of stood there and just made typical Seinfeld kind of comments about it. You know, and didn't lift a finger, didn't say nothing, didn't report it to anybody. And then they were arrested for violating the Good Samaritan law. And they were like, what? What's going on? Well, when you see something bad happening, you're required to say or do something. You're required to. And it was so foreign to them. It was unimaginable to them. The whole show of Seinfeld is all about, I mean, it's funny. But it was partly funny because they were so screwed up. So the first thing is these sailors, because what they said was, in the Seinfeld thing, we're just innocent bystanders. In other words, we're not part of the story. We're not required to be part of the story. We're not involved in this. And God never sees innocent bystanders. So the sailors, we could call them innocent bystanders. So here's the story, right? God says to Jonah, hey, go to Nineveh and preach to him. Jonah goes, I don't want to do that. I hate those guys. I want you to burn. I want them to burn. So Jonah's supposed to go, right, to the northeast. And he heads straight west, gets on a boat, heads to Spain. Tarshish, right? Heads to... So he's on the boat, storm hits. Wham! 
And of course, these sailors all worship, you know, the God of the ocean and the God of the winds and the rain. And so they're praying to their gods and to calm the storm and this and that. And, uh, and Jonah goes to him and says, this is my fault. I ran away from God and I knew better. And so here's what they say. Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. But instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. They get a second chance. And Jonah says, throw me in. And they do. They toss him overboard, and the wind and the waves calm. Now, if you're, if you're thinking, what are you thinking? Are you moving to the New Testament? Who else calms the wind and the waves, right? Who else has that ability? This is a foreshadowing, pointing ahead. And so here's Jonah, and of course, and then the seas calm. The seas calm. You know, we lived, we used to live in a time, it wasn't that many years ago, but it was a time, because we've actually moved past it into a darker area, where we used to say this, live and let live. Right? That you could live in this world, and if people disagree with you, fine. You're grown-ups. Do what you want. Just don't hurt anybody or blah, blah, blah. Right? Live and let live. By the way, that idea, which is very attractive to many of us, because we're now past that. There's no live and let live anymore. It's a whole other thing. That's a whole other sermon. But anyway, or never. You'll never get a sermon on it or whatever. But it used to be that. You could just say live and let live. By the way, you can find that nowhere in the New Testament or the Old Testament. The idea of live and let live. God does not agree with that principle. Think about it. So you have a friend. You have a, you have a friend. You have a relative. You have a neighbor. Somebody you really like. And they are doing stuff that is absolutely destroying their life. It is absolutely heading them as far away from God and God's will and blessing and love as you can imagine. And we go, eh, live and let live. That's as if... Your brother, who you may be estranged from, is sitting in a car, driving it off a cliff, and you don't say nothing. Are you good with that? You think God is good with that? So here's the thing. Now, don't get me wrong. It's not like I'm telling people, oh, you've got to go door to door, knock the door, and say, do you believe in Jesus or you're going to hell? I mean, that's, 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 not, the, that's not what I'm talking about. But in our lives, where God has placed people in our lives, the idea of live and let live... That's not how it works with these sailors. There's no innocent bystanders. God reveals himself to these sailors. They move from ignorance to knowledge. What gods do you think they were worshiping? God of the sea, God of the boat, God of the rain, God of the wind. And God reveals to them that the very same God who calms the storm, who made the seas, is the same God that Jonah is running away from, who in his appeal... To that God, the seas calm. They weren't innocent. Innocent's not the point. They weren't just bystanders. They are in the story. God is loving those sailors enough to reveal his, that truth to them. That the gods you were worshiping couldn't control this. I got it. And so God calms the, calms the stories there. So they have an opportunity to move from ignorance to knowledge. Second point, we got the Ninevites. The Assyrians are met. It's bad. Hundreds of thousands of people died in wars, um, in wars with the invaders from the north. 
they were despised. I mean, you, you, you can't, it's hard to imagine just how much they were despised. And God says to Jonah, I need you to go there and offer them a second chance. I don't know. I mean, this would be like God going into modern-day Israel and saying, you need to go into Gaza and offer a second chance. I'm not making any recommendations or commentary on this. All I'm saying is, it's hard to imagine. And so Jonah has none of it. He won't have any of it. And God sends the great fish. Oh, by the way, you know why we accept that particularly? We accept that as a true story, a real story, um, because it's in the Bible. I mean, we're a Bible. We believe the Bible. We think the book is true. Um, good, right? Um, but, the question, but the question often is, what's the true thing God's saying? And here, we love this passage because Jesus refers to it. Jesus says, just as Jonah was in the belly of the fish, for three days, so the Son of Man, he's talking about himself, Son of Man, so Jesus, I will be in the belly of the earth for three days, right? It's, and so Jesus is referring to what? His death and resurrection. So we go, wow, Jesus referred to Jonah, and that's his proof for the resurrection? I'm in. I buy it. So God sent a great fish, swallowed up Jonah. Now picture this, right? He's in the belly of the fish for three days. It's as if he's dead. I mean, he, right? what hope does he have? This thing's going to digest him. And so he's in there, and he's praying away. Lord, I'm, I screwed up. I messed up. Shouldn't have done it. Should have followed your will. I deserve to die. It's, a, it's great. It's wonderful in Hebrew. It's really, Jonah's the easiest Hebrew in the Old Testament, so it's really fun to do. And you can read it in like 15 minutes. Great story. So Jonah pleads. It says the fish vomited him up on the shore, and then off he heads to, so right, so that he was going this way, dumped in the sea, fish swims for three days over here through the Mediterranean, over to, uh, over to the shore here, kind of by Antioch, and pukes him up. Can you imagine what he must have looked like? <laughs> and smelled like? Now, when he shows up at Nineveh, uh, right, 40 days or you're all dead. Right? They probably, that probably helped in the uh, presentation. That probably helped. So, um, so here's the thing with the Ninevites. So I, I mentioned this with Jared. So we always meet, Jared and Teresa and I sit and meet, and we talk about songs for this, play, for this one. How do we fit thematically? And there's so many factors that go into picking the music. You know, how we sing it, introducing new songs, doing all kinds of things like that. And there's a couple of songs that we sing that I like. I love the tunes. I love the songs overall, but they have interest, a kind of a, I don't know, almost kind of a troubling line in it if you don't, if you don't understand it. And this line, it's not like they're not saying, like the Bible has some strong language in it at very places. So it's not like these ideas are not in the Bible. But when we ask people to sing them here in 2024, and then sing them in the context of worship, they can be awkward. Like, for instance, one of, the, one of them is, my praise is the water that my enemies drown in. That's a violent. Here's a worse one. <laughs> I'll get it wrong. Bring back the head of my enemy. God will kind of bring back the head of my enemy. Right? Can you imagine that? 
Is that the line? It's something like that. Well, it's, those ideas are actually in the Bible, where a psalmist or someone will be praying for the defeat of their enemies. Now, who does Jonah think his enemies are? The Ninevites. God is teaching him something. They're not his enemies. Now, is there evil and brokenness in this world? We have an enemy. A roaring lion seeking whom he may devour, says Peter, who would love to despoil and destroy everything God loves. And a spirit of the world and a spirit of this age which sometimes we're tempted into. But you have never looked at another person who is an enemy of God. People are not the enemy of God. And God, and God is sending this powerful, powerful message to Jonah. And we live in such a polarized, right? We said live and let live, that that doesn't happen anymore. We live in such a polarized thing that if you don't agree with me, you hate me. If you won't affirm what I'm doing, you hate me. And we're going to litigate against you or we're going to eliminate you or cancel you or do something like that. It is a difficult age to live in. All the more reason that we are taught by this. Jonah had to learn that the Ninevites, that God did not see the Ninevites as his enemies. Now, was what they were doing right? No, look at what he says. Go to that great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. The Hebrew is like, it stinks. I can smell it from heaven. It stinks so bad. But I want them back. I want, them, I want them to be mine. I want them back. And so this is an opportunity to go from darkness to light. And here's the thing. Jonah goes into the city. It takes three days to walk through the city. And his, he says the same message. Forty more days and Nineveh will be overturned. And then this is so crazy. There's four words here. It is, you should circle it, highlight it, boldface it, point arrows to it. Big time miracle in the Old Testament. The Ninevites believe God. It's nuts. It's nuts. I mean, they even put sackcloth on the animals <laughs> to show how broken they were, how humble they were, how repentant they were. They turned back to God. They, the car was driving off the cliff, and Jonah told them so, and they came back to God. An opportunity to go from darkness to light. It's funny. Um, so I'll tell you an interesting little story. The last, this third one is Jonah. This one is Jonah. So this is just the great miracle of the Bible, the Ninevites. And they estimate, I forget how many, I think they say 150,000 or 300,000. It's a huge number of people that they came back to God. The third person who gets a second chance is Jonah. And that's probably the most obvious one. Jonah turns away. God gives him a second chance. God came. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Now, go to Nineveh. Do what I told you to do. Have you ever heard the term, uh, you're preaching to the choir? Have you ever heard that? In other words, these are people that all agree with you. I have never yet found a choir that all agrees with me. But, um, but preaching to the choir is kind of a, a thing where, so there, but it's a necessary thing too. So we say, oh, you're preaching to the choir. In other words, it's unnecessary. Nope, got to do some preaching to the choir too. And that's what happens to Jonah. So it's talking to us. It's like, okay, so we're on board. So for example, my example is, uh, 
In a previous church, I had a member who was very traditional, wonderful guy, very talented musician, organist. He had a daughter who was in my wife's uh, middle school and high school choir. So she had a choir, and they would sing. And they would sing songs that we sing at 11. They would sing contemporary songs. And so he didn't, he didn't love that. And they, so they sang them at 11. They sang them at 11 o'clock. And we had our traditional service at 8.30. So he, and he sat right about where you are, Andy, and he would, we'd stand up, we'd be singing just like Jerry's to stand up, and those girls would help us lead singing, and he would stand there like this. Through the whole, through the whole time. So like this happens twice, I go to him and I go, I go, I don't know, let's call him Tom. I say, oh, Tom, what are you doing? He says, I hate that music, I hate that music. It's not good music, it's bad music. It's bad. And I go, Dwight, oh, sorry. I go, Tom, I said to him, you are not allowed to conduct a public protest in worship. And he says to me, well, that's just the way I am. I said, change. Change. God is all about change. Second chances. Max Lucado has that great book called Just Like Jesus. God loves us just the way we are. Absolutely. But he loves you enough not to let you stay that way. Right? He's constantly into transformation and shaming, shaping, shaming, shaping, <laughs> potter in the clay. And I'm, I'm messing up today. I should be done, shouldn't I? I should just be done. Okay. So talking to the choir, Jonah needed to hear it. Jonah needed to hear that. It was a chance for him to be made different. But more importantly, to truly understand and reflect the heart of God. Jonah was working on a balance sheet. They attacked us. They deserve to get wiped out. I don't like them. And they probably did deserve to get wiped out. But you know what? So did Jonah. If you're keeping score, so do I. If I'm keeping score. But thanks be to God, we learn the heart of God, who doesn't keep score, and who gives us God's grace, who gives us Christ's righteousness. Last point is this, and it all points to ultimately to Christ, the sign of Jonah. So we read it in Luke about the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah was assigned to the Ninevites, so also will the Son of Man be for this generation. Here's the point. All of it points to Christ and why he is revealed. Christ gives us the heart of God. The heart of God is that that person is not my enemy. That person is a person beloved by God. We may be having a hard time. It may be hard to communicate. It may be really even harder to disagree. And I'm being challenged to really show patience and love. But that's the heart of Christ. Jonah has the heart of Christ revealed to him. And he says this. Like you read the, um, Susan read the, the, the Revelation passage. Every nation, tribe, and tongue is going to be standing there in heaven. Guess who's going to be standing there? Some of these Ninevite guys. And me. And you. We're all standing together. Better learn to like one another. Right? All standing together because we have put our trust in Christ. Because Christ has given us his righteousness. And so the, the sign of Jodah, the sign of Jonah, is not just that he was in the, in the earth three days and rose. Right? Of course that's a sign for Jesus' resurrection. The greater sign is that the, even the Ninevites will be in heaven testifying to the glory of God because Christ has been their Savior, because God is offering his grace, and so are we all. May Christ, who was implicit in the Old Testament and explicit in the New Testament, may our Savior Jesus be explicit in us.
To God be the glory. Amen. If you have any questions or comments, email them to podcast at gracepocatello.org. And make sure to subscribe to our channel to stay up to date on sermons and classes at Grace Lutheran Church in Pocatello, Idaho. This podcast is designed so that you can take grace with you anywhere you go. Thank you.